Rusty Quill presents. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Would you like a ticket to enjoy the revelry of Noon Night Affair? Our Patreon is a place where you can see all the sordid savagery and indecent decadence of the mysteries of our fair city. Want some answers for once? Solve the mysteries and share never-before-heard stories, music, and spectacle. Come be a part of Moonlight Affair, Silent Treatment, and Selene with the other spirits again and 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 again. Where do the lost dreams of Selene escape and smear into colored streams flowing into gutters with the rain? Where does promise rise and unfurl with the thick red velvet of a curtain? What exactly is a show? And how do you draw the line of a stage? A distraction from ourselves? An intoxication? A slight promise? Are we all not actors from moments as we awake? Didn't we discuss lying already? Can we ever really stop? Who do we inhabit? What costumes do we assume as we traipse into the day and traps into the night? What was it the caterpillar asked atop his mushroom cap in a cloud of smoke? Who are you? Who are you, really? How doth the little busy bee? Charity Suter left Mulberry early in the morning. She stood in the entryway with her last pay envelope and a letter of reference. Her bag packed at her feet, arrayed securely on her head over her ears. The housekeeper dusted Mildred half-heartedly. She waited for something interesting to happen. Edmund stood at the top of the stairs, looked down at her, and watched her leave. Enoch next to him, holding the little bell she had given him. She told him to ring it any time he missed her, and Edmund would know to help write her a letter so she could visit to read to him. Charity took one last look and grabbed her bag and stepped out onto the landing with a view of the morning park, the ducks, and slight waves on the black water. She wondered if Owen was just having his tea. As soon as Charity hit the sidewalk, the little bell rang. She wiped her eyes and carried on from Mulberry and hailed a carriage into downtown. It was not her decision to leave, but after the Wormwood, she returned home to Mulberry to a chilly reception from Edmund. The next morning, he had coldly told her he no longer required her services and handed her the pay envelope and letter. 
She had one day to sort her things, one last day to spend with Enoch. It was up to her to figure out how to explain it to him. Charity was a jumble of feelings. It all happened so fast. She'd hoped she could explain it, and things would go back to normal. But obviously, Edmund was resolute. She was worried for Enoch, but a little relieved to be freed from the pressures of Park Row. And so the carriage pulled away, away from Park Row and Parvin Pond, away until Lanula Park was out of sight. Through the shopping district, a glimpse of the Duchess Hotel, the quiet end of Theater Row. The Grand Palace Theater topped Theater Row like the head of a golden scepter. The palace was home to the biggest stars in opulent operas and historical epics. Several smaller theaters lined the side of the walking street that had once been a large covered fish market. The Triple Deuce, the Dance Hall Vaudeville Theater filled the street with music, inviting in the lunch crowds. A Nickelodeon had made its way into the fair with an actual flicker show of trains and dancers and pets. The Rogue Theater put on shows wherever they could, in the street, on rooftops, and alleyways. They didn't have a home, but the desire to entertain persisted. They were known for being enigmatic and blurring the line between theater and reality. And nestled in the corner, in a black and vibrant red, was the original burlesque house Madame Mustaches, a variety playhouse where Charity called home shortly after she ran away. A cluster of misfits putting on shows for the wayward. Originally a tent set up by some sideshow performers from the boardwalk, Madame Mustaches embraced entertaining shows too highbrow for the vaudeville dance hall and too lowbrow for the Palace Theater red carpet. A fond home for misfits, artists, and hedonists in Celine. Occasionally the rich would slum it as the palace shows were spectacle but could be a bit dry, and the shows at Madame Mustache were always fun, sometimes dark and exciting. Variety acts liked to come through the place. The beloved house troupe had even attracted some mid-level stars like Annie May and Rudy Valerio, who signed on for the steady work and consistent headlining. The theater exterior painted like a scandalous dress, and the marquee, as well as the big red curtain, painted with a large, curly mustache. Charity stepped down and paid the coachman. She took her bag down and slowly walked through the street crowd, declining the many hawkers and handbills for the nightly shows. She took in the smell of it. It felt like a lifetime ago since she was here. Edmund wasn't really for shows. They hadn't gone to any in her time at Mulberry. She realized she was actually standing in the spot that she and Edmund had met. Outside on the street, she was dressed in a ball gown to be part of background on a scene as one of the cast had fallen ill. Edmund had mistaken her for a woman of means, and being a little tipsy, he'd asked to call on her. Charity went with it, almost giving him a fake name, but saw something in his eyes and thought better of it. It would be better to set all of that aside, to take it one day at a time, and right now, she needed to find a place to put her things, and she needed to find a bed for the night, so she returned to the only family she could. She stood in front of Madame Mustaches with its red line marquee and paint, posters for the new show, The Curse of the Pharaoh, and the window around the box office. She took a deep breath, then walked down the side alley to the stage door. It was slightly ajar. It was held open with a broken brick. She entered the dark, 
letting her eyes adjust to the narrow halls of the backstage area. The place was a buzz. The day before their biggest show ever was set to open. She could hear the running of lines, last minute details being added to set, costumes, and faintly, a distinct smell. She followed it through the halls, up the tiny staircase, and out to the stage just in front of the curtain. The theater was empty, the echoes of her footsteps calling out, and that smell. There was nothing like it in the world. A smell like dust after the rain, and a little grease paint mixed with faint echoes of applause. How many nights did she wait in the wings, holding her breath, hoping the crowd would show up? Hoping that they would make their cue? Waiting all tied up on the inside for that final line, for the curtain call, for the eruption and delight and laughter of the crowd. The panic, the thrill. It could be a grind. Her role as the stage manager meant a good deal of babysitting, something she was sick of when she left and was trying to escape with spending time with Edmund. And yet... Fate again had roped her into taking care of Enoch, but she owned it. She had a moment of weakness and it went sideways and now she was hoping this home, the one that welcomed her when she ran away after her father's indictment would welcome her once again. That smell, that smell of old cigar. Is that charity? Charity, charity. A man in a bent fedora and heavy gruff waddled out stage. Max ran madam mustaches and clamped the chewed cigar in his teeth, gave her a big grin, opening his arms for a hug. Max, Charity said as she dropped her bag and walked towards him with arms extended. I couldn't believe that's you. Thought I was seeing a ghost. You here for a visit? He asked, eyeing her bag. Er, or more. More if you'll have me, Charity shrugged. Did I hear Charity? A voice came from behind Max. Buddy, a man in a long vest and a short tie, one of the longtime comedy players of Madam's, ran out from behind Max and gave Charity a big hug. Hey, how's the big life, eh? I heard you landed a meal ticket with some heavy pockets. Max gave Buddy an elbow in the ribs. Buddy saw the suitcase. Oh, I mean, who needs those lousy to-dos, he said. Charity, the cot in the office is open for now. You can stay there if you need until we figure things out. It was open all night, so there's lots of last-minute details. But it'll help her with her bag. Will do, Buddy said. Hey, Max, we fixed the headdresses for the priestesses. I think it's going to hold this time. A woman with strong forearms and a clipboard walked out on the stage. Just the lady I was looking for. Ho! Hey, I want you to meet someone. This is Charity Suda, the one I told you about. The old stage manager before you. She works some miracles, I'll tell you what. Charity, this is Hope. She's the current stage manager. Hope raised an eyebrow. Uh, she's great too. I mean, uh, uh well, you ought to get along just aces. Charity here is going to help me out with a little some of the odds and ends, just a temporary kind of thing. 
Hope looked her up and down and continued. Max, the headdresses are ready for you to look at. I'm going to make sure Rudy has what he needs and then run through the music sheets. Great. Thanks, Hope. You're a, you're a lifesaver. Buddy took Charity's bag and led her back to the office. Buddy boy, I'll tell you, the tension cuts like butter around here. That reminds me, where's my toast? You like toast, Charity? I like mine with a little butter and jam, lightly toasted on one side and burnt to a crisp on the other. Charity followed Buddy offstage and down into the backstage hallways into Maximilian's office. Ward wooden desk overflowed with papers, props, and a teetering tin can jammed with the stubs of a thousand smoked cigars. The walls were papered with posters of past shows and memories of Madame Mustache's troupe. All kinds coming from all walks of life. Buddy was a vaudevillian that had wandered over from the Three Deuces dance hall across the street and never really left. Theater Row was one hot ticket. Shows were packed. Madame Mustaches was pulling enough money to even pull a few stars of the stage, Rudy and Annie May. Tucked between two bookcases was a single cot that sagged a little lower to the ground than Charity remembered. It was a fond old nag with a broken back, but the cast had all used to sleep one off at some point or another. Buddy hoisted Charity's bag on the end, looked around and stuffed a coin bag with some newspaper to fake a pillow the other. There you go, CS. I gotta say you're a sight for sore eyes. That hope she's a real curmudgeon. Doesn't take no guff from no one. It's just for a night or two, but it's great to see you, buddy. Okay, I gotta skidoo. I gotta practice my drunk temple guard shuffle again. Buddy left out the door. Around the frame, one by one, a series of painted nails curled around the edge. Westerly, the famous burlesque bombshell snaked in and out of the dark of the hallway. That shang from side to side, big, gorgeous smile. Red lips and a long-lashed wink. West ooze sultriness. Do my eyes deceive me, or is this a suitor in front of me? Wes! Not as fun as a suitor in back of me, but I'll take it. She smiled and kissed the air next to Charity's face. What is the skeleton now? Didn't they stuff you at both ends in that big house of yours? You are wasting away. He pinched Charity's arms. You are terrible. I ate fine. Thank you. Charity pulled her arm away. Tis tis, Charity. She looked at the bag on the cot. Where are your curves, lady? You gotta give the fellas something to hold on to, else they might get thrown off. The fellas are fine, West. The scions and the scoundrels, let me tell you. Rumor has it you had to play nursemaid. Shame with legs like that. That was different. That was me. Poor kid is going to get eaten alive by this unforgiving world. Hmm. Eaten alive. Now that sounds like fun. Pop. I'd let you room with me, but my place just flooded. Have to shack up at the Duchess for a while. That cot has seen better days. A few good nights, too, if I don't say so. Charity looked less than thrilled. Let's have a drink. It's almost lunchtime. I know Maxie keeps a bottle of something around here, somewhere. She searched the drawers of his desk. Bingo! She pulled out a bottle of rye from a drawer. What was that? Charity asked. Is it payday already? West asked. West, you're terrible. And Park Row has made you a stick in the mud. 
Charity and Wes rushed out of the office to the stage. Behind the curtain where some of the cast and crew had gathered in an unfinished desert market set. Some cast in partial costume. Max was scratching his head. Buddy next to him holding another clown comedian, Mabel, with the legs of a donkey costume. Abner and Lionel, a comedy duo dressed in guards costumes. And Hope, the stage manager, were all standing around the body of a middle-aged man. He was scruffy and unkempt in a worn cardigan. Thick glasses bent off his face. Eyes bulging and the tongue sticking out. A long scarf cinched around his neck. It was Arthur, the resident playwright of Madame Mustaches. Dead. Lying in his own drool. Next to the well in the center of a desert market. I guess he didn't like the ending either. Buddy said. Mabel looked into his eyes. Eh, sorry, Mabel. It's a reflex. Annie May, in a silk robe and head wrap, came up to see what the fuss was about. Hmm. I heard something happen to Artie. Is he all right? Better ask Lenny. What? Did somebody check him? Make sure, like, maybe this is an audition or a background or something? Annie was trying to get a look. Hope came running onto the stage, word spreading through the crew and cast. Artie, she shouted when she saw the body. She ran to Artie's side, pressed her ear to his mouth, and listened for any breathing. She removed the scarf from his neck and shook him, gave him a few slaps while screaming his name, but nothing. His body fell limp back to the floor. Yeah. Oh, I could have told you, Max said. There aren't any ropes or nothing. Artie was down in the dumps, but he wasn't about to take the leap, if you know what I'm saying. We talked this morning. He was finishing the last pages on Pharaoh. Big finale. He was struggling a bit, but you told me he had an epiphany. He was almost finished. Then somebody does this. Shame. Can you scarf yourself to death? No. Somebody killed him. But who? Who would have it out for Artie? He was such a sweetie. Someone send for Needle Street. Now wait just a minute. You want Needle Street nosing around here? We got a show opening one night. Pre-sold. No ending. And a dead writer. Heck, for all we know, it was one of us that did it. Why they'd shut the whole curtain down a sweet place for clues. We'd be tied up for days. Weeks, even. Maxie, it's Artie. Far as I'm concerned, I want to know who did this so we can deal with it ourselves. Our own way, before they ever make it to the workhouse. Now. Did anyone see anything? Everyone looked around to the others in the group. But everyone shook their heads. Okay, think, Maxie. He bit hard on his cigar and started to pace. Okay, I got it. The killer? No, the show. We can't do Pharaoh, not without an ending. And none of you can write a line if your life depended on it. We don't have time for a new show. So, he paced the stage. 
We need a quick fix. And I got it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got it. We're doing a follies. Max, Artie isn't even cold. Oh, I tell you, we're doing a follies. Just for one night. Everybody's just going to do their old favorites. Keeps the crowds happy and gives us enough time to track down Artist Killer, I tell you. And we'll figure out an ending for Pharaoh. I'll pay double for security until we know what's what. We'll keep Madame Mustaches running. Artie would have wanted it that way. <laughs> Max took his hat off and placed it over his heart. Okay, okay. Abner and Lionel, the art of flirtation. The two sighed. Now, buddy, you do that one. You do the aristocrats. West, you got that razzle-dazzle, of course. Great, great. Uh, let's see. Rudy Mabel can do that Don Juan number. And Annie Mae, you got that one everybody loves. The one you know. The Bard. Hamlet in heels. Maxie, it's not Hamlet. It's Richard III. It's Gloucester and Garters. That's the one. Everybody get to work. And somebody cover up Artie! Hope sprung into action, yelling at the stage crew to plan to change up the sets and lighting and pull down Pharaoh. She pulled Buddy aside. Alert Needle Street, we have a situation. And cover Artie with a sheet until they can have a look. Charity whispered in Max's ear. Max, whatever you do, promise me you won't take advantage of this. Artie was very sweet to me. I promise, kiddo. On the edge of the stage was Penelope, Madame Mustache's cranky old piano that had been with it since the beginning, warbling out old tunes on the ivories. Buddy put his foot on the bench. Buddy! When each show's harder, you work to top it and ignore your friend's murder for profit. That's how it goes at Mustache's shows. Buddy, knock off that racket! That's not funny. Everybody watch their backs. We got a show to produce, and from the looks of it, looks like we got a killer on the loose. As they left, passing around a bottle to slug to make themselves feel better, Annie Mae passed by Charity. One heck of a welcome back. Shame about Artie. Not much to live for, but he wrote me some great monologues. Maisie Myers the Curio had been summoned to the Department of Curiosity for a rare in-person visit, the Grams. Her bosses. Usually the curios recorded weekly drops on wax cylinders and then provided them a special drop basket throughout the city, with only some message coming back time to time to direct them to look into certain things or instructions to get a specific recording. An in-person was extremely rare. 
and most curios had never seen or talked to the Grams in person. Maisie had had an eventful season covering what with the Black Pond, being kidnapped and escaping and now an embedded curio in the Park Row due to her friendship with Temperance Fulcrum. She wasn't sure what this could be about. Was she spending too much time casing pedigrees? More information about the mysterious peacock, the little boy Enoch. Or maybe it was about Ludlow. She slipped out of the alley shadows on Barton Lane in her ash coat and black frilby and walked to the end of the curiosity shop. Slightly mucked up windows, shelves of knickknacks, sun barely making its way into the front. She opened the door with a ringing bell at the entrance, the old man at the counter not looking up from his tome of a book. She skirted past the shelves of little figurines, old typewriters, metal fasteners, oil lamps, ashtrays, bicycle tires, around a stack of newspapers stacked to the ceiling, and around a corner just out of view of the front. A scavenged wood banister with a carved head of a cupid leaned against the wall. She pulled over a small stack of the newspaper, stepped up on it, leaned in, and whispered in the cupid's ear. Deep in the walls, far away, cranks and gears and pulleys groaned and clanked into action until a part of the wall slid away revealing a staircase leading down to the depth of the underground, the headquarters of the D.O.C. Maisie slowly walked down the dark steps to the bottom. They ended in a narrow hallway with three low gaslights, giving a distorted reflection in the smooth, polished wooden floor that extended forward and ended in a short door with frosted glass obscuring the next room. Maisie walked down the hallway, her Mary Jane's reflecting the light as easily as the floor. Little squeaks as her shoes creaked against the wood. She couldn't see any shape through the frosted glass. She turned the knob and pushed the door open to an enormous room with plain carpet. On the far side was a small desk with an attendant about the same size as Maisie, but looking much older. Behind her, from floor to ceiling... And around the sides of the room, a giant set of cabinets set with hundreds of tiny drawers, each labeled with a sequence of letters. Next to the cabinets, near the desk, a series of elaborate cube work snaked from all over the ceiling and down to curved ends pointing up and in. Every few moments, a shook of sound as a metal canister. One of the curio's drops came from somewhere in the city and made its way down one of the long tubes. The attendant pulled out the canister, checked the recording, climbed up a rolling ladder, pushed it to the correct drawer, pulled it open, and then placed the canister inside. The next moment, three more canisters arrived, and the process continued. Maisie took off her hat and approached the desk. She waited for the attendant to notice her. The attendant lowered her glasses. The Grams will be with you in a moment. Have a seat over there. Maisie sat on the couch, low enough for her feet to reach the floor. She eyed the big open room, followed the tubes with her eyes, but couldn't track them all, and listened to the canisters arrive one by one. 
every few moments. She'd wondered where her recordings went after she dropped them. Everything in the office felt new, well cleaned, not a speck of dust anywhere, perfectly polished. A slight buzz. The attendant stopped, looked at Maisie, and then hit a button below her desk. The double doors swung open. Maisie picked up her hat, cleared her throat, and walked into the next room, the doors gently closing right behind her. An oval room smaller than the last, more polished wood, a few of the vacuum tubes snaked across the ceiling and dropped along the wall into a box with some kind of mechanism. In the center of the room, a large wooden oval table, and atop it, three ornate gramophones with fresh green turntable felt and delicate paintings along the horns, each with different flowers and different colors, a green one, a red one, and a purple one, each labeled with a painted name, Rosemary, Hyacinth, and Edna. The room was beyond silent. A depth of quiet completely muffled any sound from the other room or the outside world. Maisie could hear her heartbeat. Hello, she said. A scratchy voice of an old woman came from the far side of the table. Maisie Myers, please come closer. Maisie approached the table. As she did, she noticed there was slight movement in each of the gramophones. They each turned their horns toward her as she moved up to the edge of the table. The first one's crank began to spin, and the scratchy voice of Rosemary spoke again, coming from the horn. Maisie Myers of Uptown District 18, it said. Yes, ma'am. The crank arm on the second gramophone spun up. A different voice started up. Come a little closer, Maisie. I can't quite hear you, Hyacinth said. Maisie came right up to the edge of the table and set her hat on it. Not there, girl, please, Hyacinth said. Maisie removed her hat and held it behind her, not sure what to do with her hands. Maisie, you've done a fine job lately. You've recovered from that nasty Ludlow business? Rosemary asked. Yes, ma'am, on the mend, for sure. Good. And still enjoying the house? Working so very hard to keep it. Yes, ma'am, Maisie swallowed. And thank you again for saving it. My parents would take comfort in knowing that it hadn't gone to the- Is that Maisie? The third gramophone, Edna, interrupted. Rosemary replied. Yes, Edna, it's Maisie. We sent her the request. Maisie has come for a visit, Edna! Hyacinth repeated to Edna, who Maisie was now realizing was hard of hearing and possibly a little lost. Did we ask her about the house? Yes, Edna, we were about to ask her about the house, and it's all fine. She's fine. Good. So she'll do it, then? Edna asked. Oh no, Edna, we asked her about her house, not the other one. What? We were just getting to that. Oh, good. We need her to look into the house. The house, ma'am? Maisie asked. 
Rosemary moved in a bit closer, if anything, to block out Edna from Maisie. Yes, Maisie. Suppose we'll cut to the chase. We have a special assignment for you. It could be dangerous, but we want you to look into a house in your district in 18. There have been some odd and powerful vibrations coming from a house on Park Row. It's been shuttered for some time, since I was a girl. Did we ask her about the Sato? Yes, Edna, we are just... Maisie, we need you to infiltrate the Castrati Mansion on Park Row and find out the source of the vibrations. They've been setting off everything we have. Towers, the underground, all the pins. We can't get a decent night's sleep with... From the other room, a shook sound as a canister shot across a tube in the ceiling and down the mechanical box at the end of the room. The canister plunked out, opened. A few clicks and lights and some audible whispers inside the box as the wax cylinder played. All three grams turned their horns to face the box. Maisie, the house will have to wait. Oh no, said Hyacinth. What is it? Maisie asked. You'll have to leave immediately. Something's just come in from the district. Madam Mustaches, there's been a murder. A murder on the boards. All those secrets kept hidden from the audience by a thick velvet curtain. Will Maisie the Curio crack another puzzle with the assistance of her doll, Mr. Fitz? Will Charity settle into her old home, sleeping on a dirty cot in the old life after Mulberry? Will Max be able to keep the crowds at bay without an ending and stage a new show in one night? Who killed Arthur and will they kill again before the big finale? Someone just got roused at Needle Street. Reserve a seat in the balcony and stick around to find out on this season of Celine.
Our Patreon is a place where you can see all the sordid savagery and indecent decadence of the mysteries of our fair city. Want some answers for once? Solve the mysteries and share never-before-heard stories, music, and spectacle. Come be a part of Moonlight Affair, Silent Treatment, and Selene with the other spirits again and 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 again. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.